Welcome to Trends and Tensions, presented by BHDP, where we discuss trends in architectural and interior design and the competing priorities or tensions that arise from integrating new ideas into existing organizations, enterprises, and institutions. If you enjoy what you hear, we encourage you to rate, subscribe, and give us a review. This episode is part one of another two-part series titled Humanizing the Workplace, and we're joined by members of Fifth Third Bank. We're going to talk about work-life integration, the impact of agility on the nine-to-five workday, and what people can get out of their workplace that they don't get elsewhere. Part two will be more about human needs and building a sense of community. I'm your host, Brian Trainer, a workplace strategist for BHDP, and I'll let my guests introduce themselves. I'm Valerie Garrett. I'm director of workplace design for Fifth Third Bank. I am responsible for the fit, finish, and function of all of our real estate footprints. So that means all of our office spaces, all of our financial centers, and the offices where we serve our wealth and asset management clients as well. Thank you, Valerie. Thomas? Yeah, I'm Thomas Nautner, Managing Director of uh, Enterprise Workplace Services at Fifth Third, and I'm responsible for all of the workplace. That'd be from design to projects to uh, property management and the like. That's a, that's a lot of responsibility yep. for both of you. And also Patrick. I'm Patrick Donnelly. I'm an architect and owner at BHDP. I have the good fortune of being the client leader for our relationship with Fifth Third. And um, so looking forward to a conversation on what we're trying to do there and general conversation around the topic. Gotcha. Um, first of all, for those who might be listening who aren't from Cincinnati, who is Fifth Third Bank? So Fifth Third Bank, it's a hometown bank to mm-hmm. Cincinnati. It's over 160 years, founded in 1858. Um, it's really Fifth Third's got a unique name. It was a combination between the Fifth National Bank and the Third National Bank, and you can probably figure out who was the bigger bank. So <laughs> we operate in 13 primary states. Um, if you take a sort of a, a map from Detroit on 75 all the way down to Naples, you'll have that both east and west of that we have, we operate. So we have about a little shy of 1,200 banking centers and full full bank commercial wealth. So. You know, I have lived here my whole life, and I never knew where Fifth Third came from until today. Yeah. Um, the only, all of my memories of Fifth Third were uh, Johnny Bench commercials from mm-hmm. the Big Red Machine. Yeah, and the first yeah. place you could go to a bank and a grocery store. Yeah. That is true. Ah, you've innovated so been, there, too. Innovated, innovation is a part of their culture. So, in, so how long have you been with Fifth Third Bank, Thomas? I've been with Fifth Third. It'll be 21 years this July. Holy cow. And the majority of my time was spent in HR. And came over to this real estate, the, really the real estate group at the time, but now EWS about three and a half years ago. So. Well, that sounds like a good transition for what we're talking about right. today. When we talk about, you know, humanizing work and workplace to have an HR background. Mm-hmm. Um, what about you, Valerie? Uh, just under two years. So like 10% of what Thomas has been. <laughs> <laughs> Fascinating way to look at it. Exactly. <laughs> And have you all, you've always been on the design side? I, I have, yeah. I've spent my career in workplace strategy and design, um, fascinated with the intersection of people in place. Um, so fascinated, in fact, that I, I um, was in a presentation yesterday, and we had two sessions, and the first one, nobody sat in the front row, and I was really, really tempted to do a social experiment and just remove it and stand really close to oh, the second wow. row just to see what they would do. <laughs> I chose not to, and uh, so... Anyway, no disruption yesterday. But no disruption yesterday. Definitely was in your mind. <laughs> I spared the people. <laughs> I can. That would have been really fun, actually. So, 
over the history of the bank, um, how has how has work changed? What I mean, we're not talking about uh, banking locations. We're talking mm-hmm. about corporate office today, right? So the support functions to those. How has work changed over the last 10 to 20 years for banking? Yeah, I, you know, obviously have evolved like other industries. And I, I think our biggest change in the, I'd say the biggest significant change in the last few years, maybe three to five years, was really the, the mobile worker. The ability to move throughout this, the campus or the, the, you know, where people work and not just being stuck to a fixed place. I think that was our biggest sort of, for our organization, a breakthrough. I think, I think the other influence has been um, really around collaboration and that businesses, the collaboration between the groups. We, we had um, several years ago um, had a very big push around one bank and that we want to be presented at one bank. To, the, our, to our customers. What that means is that cross-functional work between departments like a mortgage department or a commercial or a trust or a wealth, that those, we come to the client as a one bank philosophy. And so you're not hearing from one group or another group, you're hearing from one bank. And so that kind of, I think that was the early stages. It was probably 10 or so years ago we started that. That was the early stages of really pushing that collaboration. And I think the workplace needed to adapt to that needed to adapt to a style because we started having early on what we called huddles. So think about this. In the morning, they would have a huddle in a a branch or they would have a huddle and and a line of business where they would pull cross-functional teams together and talk about what about this client or what about that client and what do you think? So think about that. That was the workplace didn't facilitate that because we're still in offices and not open environment. And they started coming to us saying, hey, how do we we need a place to be able to meet and talk and, and converse and I think the workplace has really propelled the idea that we are one bank and we work together in a cross-functional way. And I think then the other piece I would say, not only with mobility, is the this term agile and the, and the ability to work in a, an environment to solve problems. And and it started mostly out of the tech and, and how banks have transformed more out of traditional banking into more technical and the online, the uh, mobile apps, and that, the 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 speed at which technology works. Because banks traditionally wouldn't be seen on the cutting edge of innovation right. for the yeah. most part. I mean, we have some innovative mm-hmm. things we've done in our past, but what's propelled us is this I, this focus on technology. And the and if you think about it, the impatience of the customer about what they want in the future. <laughs> and so you have to adapt and ideate very quickly, and you have to solve problems very quickly, and the competition's out there. And it's not yeah. just banking competition. That's the other thing. It's competition from other outside influences that are non-banking that are really pushing the envelope around how people interact, mm-hmm. how our customers interact with us, how we interact with our customers. So I'd say long-winded answer to your question, <laughs> but those are some of the factors that I think have changed our environment. Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, it's funny, Thomas, when you say, like, you know, not normally been thought of as a really innovative sector of the market, banking. Um, as a designer, never in a million years did I imagine myself working for a bank, <laughs> truly. Like, like the last place I, I would have looked to land. Um, however, when you think about the shift in workplace happening at Fifth Third just, you know, four or five years ago, that's pretty late. People have been doing that shift, have been mm-hmm. moving through that shift for many, many years prior to that. So to have an opportunity to step into a role where 
that shift is still happening in a big way and, and you're just kind of on the cusp of it is a big deal. And I think part of it is is fed by the, I mean, everybody's thinking about attraction retention and there's uh, a lot of, um, the workplace affects that significantly. When you realize from a generations in the workplace perspective that it's not just the millennials that need flexibility, right? It's the sandwich generation who's taking care of parents and children and mm-hmm. other generations need the same things. And you look at a place like Fifth Third where you have a lot of tenured people because they've been at the bank for a long time because they've enjoyed a really good um, career experience at the bank. That realization sets in in a different way than it does in other places. And so I think it's prompting a lot of uh, what we're doing, and it's prompting a, a response to the workplace in a different way than maybe it is in other places. And I just add to that. I, I just a quick note. I when we started this venture, when I got involved three, four years ago around this, you know, I had this little thing I wrote on a notepad. I said, "Push past the future," because I thought we were behind. And when I wanted to make sure, and Valerie knows this from talking to her is that we weren't just catching up we were actually pushing past the future meaning we were looking further than it and I just had a conversation before we came down here with our design lead Valerie I said what what we need her to do and spend time is make us uncomfortable she needs to make us uncomfortable in every way she can because that's the only way we believe we can grow and that's uncomfortable in the types of ideas, uncomfortable maybe in the type of work environments. Doesn't mean we do everything, but it's that pushing past sort of the norm or what where companies are today. And really, I call it a little bit of future proofing yeah. in our design that we're able to be flexible. And Patrick knows this. I've talked about future proofing our design. How can we change it? How can we adapt? How can we be flexible that the design can change over time as we evolve? Well, and Brian, when Thomas talks like this and mentioned this to us was very refreshing. I mean, you think of Rex Miller, who's been a guest on our podcast before, who's a futurist. He's educated as a futurist. And, you know, when we do workplace strategy and strategic design, a lot of what we ask about and the tools that we use are targeted on how do we create the crystal ball that helps us see the specific future for a particular client or particular project situation. Because realistically, what we're doing today will not be built or occupied for a couple of years. That's right. And would most likely, we hope, be occupied for many years to come. So mm-hmm. if you're doing design, especially architecture and interior design, and you're not focused on the future or being futuristic about it, then you're not a very good designer because it has to be designed for that. So to actually have someone lead, leading so many disciplines with the bank tell us, make us uncomfortable, get us to think about the future, especially in an industry where um, right now, m- many banks are rapidly moving into the future because they have to, and not because they desire to, but because that's the nature of what they have to do to be successful. To hear that was just you know music for us to our ears, and it actually made us change the way we were delivering design um, in a more integrated way, bringing you know multiple disciplines together, get decisions made quickly, but also make better decisions about the future. Fascinating. So a couple of things that I heard when you guys were talking, I was taking notes here. Um, Some of the big changes that have come along for you is the increase in the agile worker, um, this need for collaboration, um, not just within groups, but cross-functional. 
Um, and then there was also the concept of, you know, future proofing about being innovative, making you uncomfortable. She should pull all the chairs out of your front row. But, um, if, <laughs> yes. you know, <laughs> I think we had a conversation recently where I got a little pushback and I said, am I making you uncomfortable? Oh, <laughs> is, that what, is that what you asked for? <laughs> Done. Uh, how is the workplace responding? What are you doing to meet these challenges or changes? Could I, could I start on that one? Because I think it's it's caused BHDP to really um, refine what we were trying to do, which is integrated design. And those who know us know that we do um, business workplace consulting, um, traditional design, uh, change leadership and alignment, all using design thinking as the primary basis for all of that. We also have lots of different services that we provide that impact the design of space, like environmental graphic design and change alignment. This approach this future-proofing, um, this innovative approach caused us to really begin to design and program space all at the same time. Kind of a traditional idea the way we used to do architecture, but here we weren't having a defined program and designing to that. We were saying, what do we need to design? What do we need to build that enables this kind of collaboration and innovation to, to happen? What we found was when we, when we had this convergence team that had retail experience, a workplace experience that was fully integrated, across multiple services, it helped us be more efficient, deliver faster, and I think better solutions. And we're just now beginning to build out a lot of this space that was conceived about the same time, one project learning from the other. So in a way, working as a team patterned what they were trying to do in the bank relative to work process, and I found that absolutely fascinating. Thank you, Patrick. Yeah, I would say, so macro, the way the workplace is responding is we really are creating spaces intended to support all the behavior that a person engages in throughout the day. So my favorite one, how do you support the meeting after the meeting? Universal workplace behavior, almost universally unsupported in the work environment. Right. So... Patrick would tell you that I, that I will pick on that if I'm reviewing a plan and I don't see that supported near large meeting spaces in particular, I will go back to the team and say, where, where is our space to support this? Show me where this is being supported. So, so macro, it's about that. It's about supporting every kind of workplace behavior you engage in through the day, giving you choice, letting you as an individual self-curate your day. There's some cultural uh, support that you need for that, right? So if I'm gonna if I'm gonna use all of the space that's available to me, am I always perceived as working? If I'm not, then I don't really have choice. So we're also working with the culture team to share what we're doing and to help them see um, how we're trying to leverage workplace uh, because there's a real. Uh, cultural element to it as well. So big picture, it's that. I think when you think about how mobile people are today, I mean, we all have the rectangle in our pocket mm -hmm. that allows us to be tethered everywhere and also untethered so that we can be anywhere. And so when you think about how mobile people are today, the workplace needs to give them something that they can't get elsewhere. So... Oh. I can work at home and I can get a lot done working at home or I can work 
in Michigan, or I can work in Florida, or I can work here um, at BHCP's office. I can work in a lot of different places and get a lot done. When I go into the office, it needs to give me something that I can't get when I'm not at the office. Like what? It should be... For example. (laughs) Well... The obvious one is connection, face-to-face connection. Now, can you do that in other ways? Sure, you can. If you're really good at levering technology, then you can use any number of different technologies that allow you to communicate and see one another's faces real time. That's a reality. But you get human connection within the space. It should support you in a way that you're not supported in other places. So maybe it's additional technology. Maybe it's technology that supports human connection in a certain kind of space. I'm not going to build out a space in my home and invite my coworkers into my home (laughs) for a design thinking session, right? So there are some things that the workplace needs to do that way that that are just physical, Um, but it, it has to give you something that you don't get elsewhere. That was a good, thank you for that. And and let me add to that. It's interesting. I was sitting here thinking as Valerie's talking about, um, you know, what's the correct way to work? And so we have this paradigm, or we may have had the paradigm of the bank, I'll speak for myself and the others maybe that think this way, that where you had an office or you had a pers- you had your own desk, um, it was your desk, it was your world or whatever it was. What I think about is how do you, how do you know that's right? And so what Valerie's talking about is, is the ability to have variety. And if you think about my background in human resources is really around the whole purpose is how do we figure out how to, how to get the right talent, have them as productive as they can. It's all around productivity. So right. one thing I didn't realize coming from an HR background, I really, really never thought about until I stepped into this world, was how much the environment, the work environment, can impact the productivity of our employees or, or whoever. And having that ability to be mobile and work in different places. It is a culture change for some, but to me, um, it's, it's, it's opened up a new world. One of the things we talk about is, you know, we'll have a floor that we'll remodel that may be 14,000 square feet. Let's just use that as an example. And in the traditional way, I may have a square foot, or let's say I have 100 square feet or 200 square feet. Now I have 14,000 square feet. What we do when we talk about change is we talk about it's we're not remodeling just for you. We're remodeling the entire space. In fact, we would say our downtown campus, we have a million square feet that you can work in, not just (laughs) a hundred square feet or in a facility that had 200 square feet that you have all the square feet to work in. This is your space. Don't leave this space. No, you can go anywhere within the One of the challenges that we've had is occasionally we'll get an individual who says, well, I just don't know that I could work in that workstation all day long. And And the immediate response is, we don't think you should. There are any number of other places that you should go. If you need to make phone calls and you've got to uh, put your head down and, and really be tuned into somebody on the other end of the line, go into a phone room. If you have a deadline and you need to work against that deadline and you need to not encourage the drive-bys that you tend to get when you're in the open, then then go into a focus room. We would never expect you to sit at a workstation or a desk or in a phone room or we wouldn't expect you to sit anywhere all day long because that's not how we do work. And, yeah. be, and if you think about it, just to add to that, back to sort of the human behavior, how does work get done? Yes. How does work get done? Work gets done through interaction for the most part. It gets done through interaction. And interaction, and I, I throw this at you, in the old days you may, or back before we 
had so much of an open environment, you may send an email, you may leave a message, you may call somebody. The number of times that you have what we call these accidental... Serendipitous encounters. Yeah, encounters is what she said it better than I did. But um, the number of the work that gets done and those sort of times and moments where I see Patrick... And gosh, I needed to get the Patrick. And I, I've sent an email, email last week. I've yeah. called him. He was busy. And I solved that problem in a 10-second conversation. You cannot replace that. So I always wonder, the, you know, you think talk about productivity. Um, we've had times when we talk to our, our regional presidents when we've done um, new, you know, sort of we call our workplace. They say one of the things that they have the most success of is they actually can get to their people. Mm-hmm. They actually see that John is sitting over there and I can grab him, or uh, Sally is over there by the copier, so I need to ask her a question. If you think of how we were before, tons of offices, tons of walls, I couldn't see Patrick, yeah. I couldn't see Brian, I couldn't see Sally, and they've really said it's it's not so much to watch where people are, it's be able to get to people in those quick moments. And make so that's difference. one of the so. things that the workplace gives you that you can't get elsewhere if it's properly yeah. designed. So in part, innovation happens through serendipitous encounter. Not <clears throat> only through that, but that is one of the ways that you innovate. Yep. A space created to encourage that, I don't get that at home. I don't get that at the coffee shop. I don't get that elsewhere. I get it in the workplace where other people are that I need to encounter to ideate with. Yeah, so one of the words we're hearing a lot of with our clients nowadays um, when they're talking about their space is experience. They want to create an experience for the employees, and that's what I'm hearing is give them a reason to come in, um, and it has to be compelling because a lot of people spend a lot of time here, and it can have the opposite effect if it's not a good experience. Mm-hmm. Right? You can drive people away. You can lower productivity because they're too distracted, and you know they're not... Um, empowered or there's no opportunities for other ways of working. Yeah, and I think I think Valerie and I talk about it a lot. I think there are certain roles within our organization and other organizations for sure that you wouldn't have to collaborate as much that you could do, you know, personal work, privacy type things, but there's few and far between. Um, we still need to support that. So this is the other thing about, the, you know, our approach is it's not a one-size-fits-all. It's not, hey, that's why I was getting back to what I was talking about before. When we were in the traditional office, who said that was right? I mean, there's not a one way to do solve this problem. Otherwise, it would have been solved. So the variety, the choice, the flexibility is where what we're trying to do. And there's a little bit of misnomer. Valerie and I talk a little bit about this, about the open and floor environment, that it's just this sea of openness and all that. That's not how we have approached it. We've approached it with a very good balance of privacy, of um, open space, and others where it's more neighborhoods and pockets versus just sea of you know openness. So we've really tried purposely to do that. I think the other thing we focused on, and Valerie knows I talk about this quite a bit, is you have to educate people how to use new spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, they may see a focus room, but mm-hmm. what is it really for? How is it used? What should you use it for? What's the etiquette? around it. And so some of it's in, you know, an education how to work a little bit differently. So when when you think about experience, I mean, you can that can be as complex or as simple as you decide it is. So it really runs the spectrum. It, it's absolutely relevant to create a great experience and and we should. And even in things like as I as I coach my team about presenting, I'm saying 
walk them through how they come through the space as a client and how they come through the space as a as an employee. That's their experience. How will you experience this the space? You can curate everything you encounter along those paths and you can approach experience that way, which adds some complexity and is not wrong, is a good worthy endeavor. You also can look at experience and and think about things like if I'm cold every day when I'm in the office, it's just a bad experience. Right. It doesn't matter how great the space is. I'm freezing cold all the time. Mm-hmm. I can't even, you know, run my mouse pad on the computer, keyboard, whatever it's called. That's just a bad experience. Um, so there are things like that that you just need to design with thoughtfulness for people so that you're not creating a negative experience. That is also experience design. Yeah. It's yeah. designing with the human being in mind, so our I, vulnerabilities, the way that we're wired. We, I, I have friends and family members that are employees at Fifth Third. I mean, they're a very large employer, uh, you know, across their region, but especially in Cincinnati. And when they realized that we were now the design firm for Fifth Third, one of the comments that I remember, and I saw this family member in the hallways at Fifth Third, and... Um, we were talking, and he was having a, actually had a great experience at work. Likes working at Fifth Third. He said, "I wish we had a workplace that would enable what I'm already experiencing better." Hmm. So sometimes doing this well is about really recognizing you've got something good going. Mm-hmm. Where are there barriers? Remove those barriers first to make sure that you're not getting in the way of what you're trying to do with the culture. When you're designing for someone who's got a background in HR, when you're designing for someone who's trying to humanize the workplace, like these two, we're constantly thinking about that. It's a natural for us because we begin with with people. And you can see why it's a natural place for us to apply what we've been doing through research and other opportunities to design in terms of community design for the workplace. When you have someone that thinks about the million square feet, not the hundred square feet, you naturally start thinking about community. And how is it that this place enables socialization of work, which is beyond collaboration. It's about relationship. It's about coming to work because I have a social connection to the mission, certainly. And my vision, mission for myself is in alignment with what the company is doing, but certainly a connection to other people who share in that commitment to the organization. That happens in a very social way. So you have to create places where we can do that and fit there's a place where we're doing that. Yeah, I think that's like a, the forum. That's a great connection. So Thomas, when you talk about teaching people how to use the space, I mean part of the message as we talk about workplace and what we're doing and we're, we're leading people through the details of a big change for them when we're doing a project is to help them see that we're enabling things they're already doing. So, I'm from Michigan. One of the things that we have been saying for a long time is like the days of you going and working at GM for 30 years and then retiring with a great pension are over. In the workplace, the days of us coming in, sitting in a cubicle or an office, going to a planned meeting, coming back to cubicle or office, and then at five o'clock walking out the door, they are over. Nobody's working that way, even in an environment that only supports that kind of work. 
You're standing outside the workstation. You're standing in the hallway. You're, uh, you're, you're going somewhere else. You're meeting over lunch, not at your desk or in your office because you don't want to be in that environment all day long. So we're already working in this way. It's enabled by technology and many other things. Yeah. It's enabled by work-life integration, right? Like we don't talk about balance anymore. We talk about integration because my people that I live with and that I love and that I'm spending my life with, they don't just shut off and go away when I'm at work. So all of these things are prompting a different way of working that we're already engaged in. Now it's legitimately scary for people to then go into a space that's actually enabling that because they don't know it's going to be okay. I've been doing this for over 20 years. I know it's going to be okay. But the reality is, as we educate, it's completely relevant, and it's a worthy point to make that we're already doing this. Right. And I know that there's some outliers to that, because like call centers are an extreme where somebody would mm -hmm. go in and sit at the desk. But I've even seen disruption in that industry mm -hmm. in a couple of ways, a lot of automation is taking that away. We talked to one company that said they were going to reduce their workforce by like 60% because of automation in call center. And I've also seen another company who almost did it like a gig economy where they hire people, but they don't come into the office. They're the call center from their own home. Like right. they, they send right. them the device and a laptop and wherever they are, they're a call center. When I was consulting, you know? <laughs> I had a client that, that their deal was like, if we can figure out the phone system and how to replicate that, we can enable people to work at home. Now, the culture was a little different right. in a call center, so they didn't, they didn't want everybody to just disappear. But they could then start to rotate people being able to work a couple days at home while the rest of the team is here, and then somebody else can work a couple days. Sure. Yeah, I'd say the other thing we... You know, we've talked a lot about the human side of it. There is a there is a uh, just a pure economic side of this too, mm -hmm. and part of our reality is the financial side of really looking at what space and efficiency. A bank and, uh, I about said, the financial side. That's well, I was <laughs> you know I was thinking this morning. I mean, you wouldn't run an. I was thinking what an analogy would be if an airline came to you and said we have a load capacity of fifty percent. You'd probably question whether they were going to be in business long term. Yes. And, but if you went into an office environment and you found out that 60% of the people are only there every day, or there, excuse me, for so 40% is not there and right. gone, and that real estate sits there and there's a money, there's an aspect of that, the financial aspect of that, you may not, you may look at it differently. So we had this kind of thought, we kind of toyed around with the financial piece of it and said, well, when that corner office is sitting there at 350 square feet and it's unoccupied for a week, that's a non-performing asset. That's an asset sitting there that no one's doing anything out of that. And so this idea, the reason I bring this up is this whole concept of sharing, mm -hmm. of using space in variety of spaces and, and really sharing the space versus saying, hey, I have my corner office, I have my, my desk. And so we're really, we've also done a lot of sharing of space too and, and more efficient. And I think efficiency is a part of it too. Certainly it's not the only play, but there's an efficiency piece of this and we talk about that too. So. I think part of educating people, I mean, as a designer, I palpitate a little bit, right, when we start talking about, well, there's an efficiency play here. But the truth is, when I stand in front of people and I talk about square footage per person, and I share with them, I mean, this this is human-centered communication. You have to break things down into units that people get their mind around. So you say something like, well, so we have a lot of square footage per person here. That's legitimate play. We need to address that. We would be foolish not to. It would be bad business not to. And people are kind of glazed over. And then you say, 
The amount of square footage we have here per person equates to about a small cottage <laughs> for every one of you. I'll bet nobody came in on hire day and said, yes, and I'm really excited to take the role. And in addition to the vacation and benefits, I'll take a small cottage to work in, right? <laughs> and they all go, oh my gosh, that is a lot of space. We yeah. would never have asked for that. We would never expect that. And yet that's what we have. So you have to, from a business perspective, you have to recalibrate that. Nobody in their right mind could advocate that that is the right thing well, to maintain. Well, and Thomas, I love that you brought this topic up because there's a human side to this too, and I see it all the time. I mean, on average, because of the rectangle in our pocket and the laptop that sits in front of me and spaces like our commons that is adjacent to the room we're sitting in, you know, we're very mobile. And it's caused essentially a, a, a crisis in utilization of space, 50%. Mm -hmm of space on any given day. Think of all the buildings in central business mm -hmm. districts, 50% unoccupied. Now, that's an asset that's not utilized, but it's also not an asset that works very well for the people that are there. Right. Because Think density about is good. Think about communities. that is. People make place. Mm -hmm. If you don't have enough mm -hmm. people there, right. it's not a place. That's right. Mm -hmm. So you aren't interacting with people. You're not exchanging knowledge. You're not solving problems. You're not creating innovation because all the people that I'm trying to do it with aren't here. Right. So create places people want to come to, people make place, and those interactions, density can be considered a good thing, as well as the appropriate use of a financial right. asset. You need human hum to be engaged. Human hum is Valerie's yeah. term that we use a lot. Human and when hum. you think about what that is, there's a certain energy to that hum that can really make a culture run. Well, I mean, and then some of these spaces that you tour that need attention, <laughs> you think, Heaven forbid I'm the guy in the corner workstation and nobody else shows up and something happens to me for a few days. Like, how long would it take them to find me? <laughs> yeah. So there's there are some other practical reasons to have some density too, right? You, how long till somebody comes to You need to be a community me. together so that you know if everybody's okay. So you talked about this a little bit. Valor's touching on it. I mean, you mentioned it earlier about is it a can we create a place? That people want to come into and do their best work. I yes. mean, think about if you think <laughs> yes. about what it really is about. It's about creating an environment where people want to do. They like where they work. They enjoy where they work, yeah. and they can do the best work of their lives. And that's what we're trying to create. And again, it's not there's variety variety in that. And that's what we're we're trying to create because. I've always had this theory about people don't really work for corporations and businesses. They work for people and they work with people. And if they like their surrounding, they like their environment, they like the people they work with, that's that's when they're most productive. And so those are the things we talk about from an environmental environment standpoint uh, about work. So It makes me think of, and I can only paraphrase, but that quote from Abraham Maslow that said, um, I found people are happiest when they're working at something that they're good at and contributing to something bigger than themselves. Mm -hmm. and, and they understand what that bigger thing is. Yeah. It's really important. Which they catch from other people. Right. They don't catch from a quote on the wall. Right. They catch from interacting with one another because that's when it becomes authentic. Right. If nobody's living that quote on the wall, it's, mm -hmm. it's a miss. Yeah. Thank you for joining Trends and Tensions presented by BHDP. We'll conclude part one of humanizing the workplace, leaving you to ponder how utilization and experience impacts workplace performance. We hope you'll join us again for the next episode when we'll talk about what drives human needs and the value of community. If you appreciate what you've heard, please rate, subscribe, and give us a review.
I'm Brian Trainer. I hope you have a constructive day. <laughs>